Welcome back to the Black Letter Podcast. We set out to create an entertaining and exciting podcast about law and business. Black Letter, the name, comes from the Gothic typeset. Over time, Black Letter became the only font that English law books were printed in. It made it harder for kind of the common person to understand what the English law books said. Black Letter came to represent something that was law, that was set in stone, that was sort of old and a well-settled fundamental principle of law. We're here to demystify black letter law. We're here to demystify things that happen in business and law and where those two meet. And I hope you have fun listening. Welcome back to the Black Letter Podcast. Thanks for joining us again. With me, I have Tony Brown, Antonio Brown, of a patent monetization expert. Last time he shared kind of what patent monetization is, how he started his company, how he left his firm, Jenner and Block, and took a big leap low many years ago. And today he's going to talk about an example or uh, something that's happened in his career that will kind of bring this down to earth for everybody so you can understand what Tony's gone through and what he does now. So Tony, I'm going to kick it off to you. We've given you some time to think about this. So if you have any thoughts, uh, you know, I'll go ahead and share with our listeners. Be great. Sure. Well, you know, I, I've got a couple of war stories uh, <laughs> on the, the patent litigation front. Um, one, of, one of my initial big cases was against Intel. And we had a patent that was owned by a company called IMS that was a competitor of Intel. They, they made a chip that competed with Intel's chip. They were much, much smaller. And okay. uh, I acquired I, ownership of the patent from the company they did they basically didn't have the resources to enforce the patent they were a very small company and intel had had made it very hard for them to compete by basically making uh customers avoid their their chips so they basically said you know to their to their customer base don't buy chips from ims um and <laughs> so they were they had a, a tough road to hoe and i, I acquired the patent uh, and the patent had to do with uh, it's called backward compatibility. So as Intel made new chips, those chips had to be able to run with older computers. So there was a feature yeah. in them that allowed you to go uh, to to have backward compatibility with prior models of computers. It's a very important patent because it applied to you know virtually all of their chips, and it was you know they were multi-billion dollar sales. So we we filed a lawsuit against Intel for half a billion dollars. And it, it got quite a bit of publicity because my company was tiny and we asserted, uh, you know, we were going against one of the largest companies in the world. It, it got interesting because what happened with IMS is they eventually filed bankruptcy. They, they could not compete against Intel. They filed bankruptcy. And then there was a, a bankruptcy proceeding in Texas. We had, we had filed our suit against Intel in federal court in California. There's a bankruptcy proceeding in Texas involving this company, IMS, and this mysterious Cayman Island company called Malin showed up and they, they went to the trustee and they said, we want you to file an avoidance action uh, against TechSearch, which is my company, to uh, have the transaction where they purchase the patent uh, canceled and have the patent go back into the estate because we don't think uh, TechSearch paid adequate consideration for the patent. We think the patent has a lot more value. So this company, Malin, which was from the Cayman Islands, mysteriously showed up and 
said to the trustee, we'll fund this action against Texas. We want you to go and get this patent back into the estate. Then you can auction it off to the highest bidder. Um, wow. So we did a little research and we actually took the deposition of the the person who was ostensibly the president of Mayland, who was this guy sitting in the Cayman Islands with a file cabinet that was, <laughs> he had, he, he had 10,000 clients there, all of them shell companies. And we found out that Intel was the owner of this company, that Intel owned Malin, which was the company that was trying to uh, get the patent back into the estate and thereby undermine our, K, our, our uh, patent infringement suit against Intel. And we went, to the, we went to the bankruptcy judge in Texas and we explained to the judge that this company that was trying to bring this action to get the patent back into the estate was really Intel, a shell for Intel. And the judge went ballistic. He basically said, you know, it's, Intel was, behave, was behaving improperly and they really didn't care about whether we paid adequate consideration for the patent. They just wanted to end the lawsuit in California. And this was just a, a, a subterfuge to try to get the patent out of our hands so that we couldn't assert this claim in California in the federal patent suit. And he threw the case out. And so that was that that's when uh, Intel uh, first called me a patent troll. They, you know, we got a lot of publicity out of it, which was great for my company. Right. And, it, you know, because they were very upset that we were asserting this claim against they said, well, you know, you're not, you're not manufacturing anything. You're not, you're not making a product. So how can you, how can you assert claims under a patent if you're not making the product? Well, there's nothing in the law or the constitution, which grants patent rights that says you gotta, you gotta make a product in order to have, to enforce your rights for, you know, a valuable asset that you may own. So, uh, that was, that was a fun case. Uh, and, and actually the person who argue that case on summary judgment was was Rob Greenspoon in the California. Oh, so my yeah. law partner. Yeah, your law partner. He argued the case against Intel uh, on summary judgment. So that that was a fun case. Um, and, you know, that, you know, did Rob do a good job? Yeah, well, what Rob did a great job. And what happened was, I mean, it's kind of a long story, but what happened was the judge appointed, we had a, a judge who was like 90 years old who didn't understand even what a computer was. I mean, this was very, very high tech stuff. So he appointed yeah. a special master who is this guy from Rand Institute to come in and evaluate the merits of the thing. And, you know, Rand Institute, believe me, they have, they have ties with Intel. Uh, you know, obviously Intel is, you, you know, you don't want to get on the wrong side of Intel if you're the Rand Institute. So this, this, this special master came in with a report saying, well, the patents, the patent isn't infringed because uh, you know, a, a certain particular feature that he claims uh, was in, in the product. And so we lost on summary judgment. We actually appealed the, the case all the way up to the Supreme Court. We, we went up on cert in the Supreme Court and uh, we lost two to one. There two, uh, two to one in the Fed, in the, it, we lost two to one in the appellate court. And then we applied to cert to the Supreme Court and we didn't get cert granted, but we went as far as we could. We ended up not winning that case, but we got a lot of, uh, you know, it was an interesting case. We got a lot of publicity from it and that really helped our company to grow. Well, that's, I mean, good news. I guess the lesson from that is is not just um, stick to your guns, I guess, but that some good can come out of a loss. I mean, it sounds like it helped launch your company, right? 
It it did. I mean, the Wall Street Journal did a major art, article on it, and you know, it was, it was yeah. a, David, a David and Goliath story. I I really think, you know, to this day that that patent was infringed. I think I think we had we should have won on the merits. I really believe that we had the right arguments and the and the right uh, analysis for that case. Um, unfortunately, the special master didn't agree with us, and the judge really did not exercise any independent judgment in the thing. He basically relied on the we that was really the basis for our appeal, that it was improper for the judge to have delegated that authority yeah. to the special master. That's something the judge should have should have decided. And if he felt there was a question of fact, it should have gone to the jury. So we we really felt there were questions of fact that have gone should have gone to the jury. We should have had a jury trial on it, which we didn't. Uh, that's well. That's it's heartbreaking, and at the same time, I'm glad it helped launch the company. Yeah. So, um, good, good uh, moral of the story. So, uh, that's that's a little, I guess, insight into what you do. So, at, at, can you t- share with us any recent cases that you have that we may have heard about in the news, or anything that's that's popped up recently, or any big changes in the law that you think people should know about? One of the early patent cases I had also that was kind of an interesting case. Uh, one of the first ones was um, a patent that it, it had been developed actually before the World Wide Web existed. And it basically was a technology that involved compressing an image, transmitting the image on the internet, and decompressing and displaying it. That was essentially the patent. That applies to any, any you know, GIF photo or, you know, any PDF, right. uh, any image that you compress and, and transmit and, and display on the other end. And that, he... This patent existed, uh, goes back to like the mid eighties and it was, um, incredibly prescient in that it, it it actually, uh, foretold what would happen on the World Wide web and the internet as it developed. And, uh, so that was one of the first patents that I acquired the rights to. And it's interesting story because we went out and we licensed dozens or hundreds of companies, uh, for this patent. It was a very successful licensing campaign. And. The the original inventors there were there were two of them that were co-inventors and one of them died and his widow acquired the rights and then the other one uh, was alive and I went to the I went to the the first one the one who the inventor who was alive whose name was Rosmanif and I tried to interest him in get, granting us the rights to the patent so we can enforce it and he was so difficult to deal with and we were just starting out so we had you know virtually no track record. I could not get him to agree to give us the rights to the patent so that we could pursue it. But it turns out that there was an undivided ownership interest between him and the, the widow of the other inventor. So I went to the widow of the other inventor and she was, wow. she was a secretary and she was like making ends meet. And I said, you know, I think I can make you some money here. And, and, and she said, where do I sign? You know, so she, I signed her up and then I went back to the first one. I said, well, you know, you can't do anything without me because I own half of your patent. So you can't enforce it. I can't enforce it. So why don't we work together? So the guy finally relented. He said, okay. <laughs> so I acquired, the wow. rights. I acquired the rights to the patent. And it was, it was my first, you know, my, one of my first patents. And we, we did so well with it. It was such a great patent. And, it, you know, we, we licensed virtually, you know, hundreds of so the gentlemen who, who didn't want to sign with you originally? Was he pretty happy with the outcome? Well, he after was all of that. He was, he was a he was like a Grinch. He was never happy, but the this, the woman, the widow, was overjoyed because I made her life. I mean, it really. She was a secretary. She 
She was trying yeah. to make ends meet. She had health issues. She had medical bills that she, you know, was having trouble paying. And I would send her checks every month. And she was she was over the moon. That's a fantastic story. So I'll close this segment with, with your new tag, like Tony Brown, Pad Monetization, Helping Widows and Orphans. <laughs> 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 I like that. Maybe that's we go good. with that. That's good. Yeah. So you can, yeah, you can have that. So, uh, so Tony, when you come back next time, I'm going to ask you to give our listeners three kind of pieces of advice or three things they should know before engaging in patent monetization or before talking to either somebody like you who's looking at purchasing their patent or yeah. their portfolio or somebody like uh, my firm who's helping them monetize or do licensing or do litigation. So three, three big highlight things. And listeners, thank you again for joining us and joining Tony here today on the Black Letter Podcast. We will be back on the next episode where Tony gives us the distilled wisdom of the ages. Uh, download us wherever you get your podcasts, uh, iHeartRadio. Watch us on YouTube. And we'll see you next time on the Black Letter Podcast. That's all for today's episode of Black Letter. Thanks again for listening. Join us next time when we talk about more Black Letter issues in creative ways. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode and check out our website at blackletterstudios.com.